Planning a mission trip for your group can be really hard, so we created a super simple process to make it easy. Learn more today at blueskymissions.org. You're listening to the Student Ministry Podcast. If you're a youth pastor, small group leader, college pastor, or even a parent, this podcast is for you. Whether you're looking for tools and resources or encouragement and wisdom, you've come to the right place. Here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello and welcome in to the Student Ministry Podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Ortiz, coming at you from the beautiful metropolis of Orlando, Florida. Thanks for listening. This is episode number 12 of the Student Ministry Podcast. In just a moment, I'm going to be diving into uh, just some content and thoughts uh, that I learned from, from a man that is uh, considered one of, the, one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. Uh, I haven't learned this from him personally. I've never met the man, uh, but just learn these things and these lessons uh, from him him just from observing his leadership and kind of some of the things that he did when he was a coach. And that is coach Bill Walsh, who, who was a coach for many years with the San Francisco 49ers, won multiple Super Bowls, and I think really laid the groundwork for for some uh, for some great success, both for the Niners as well as for a variety of other franchises, uh, mostly because of his leadership and some of his innovative ways of doing things. And so, I want to dive into that. Hey, before I get to the the meat of the content, a uh, couple quick bits of business that I want to take care of. Number one, uh, if you're listening to this and you are not subscribed, maybe uh, maybe you stumbled across the podcast on some social media platform or other platform out there. I want to let you know uh, the only way to guarantee that you never miss an episode is to be subscribed. Whenever you are subscribed, every episode gets delivered directly to your device as soon as it goes live. So head on over to whatever podcast catching app you're familiar with. Hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. Also, uh, if you've been listening to any length of time and you like what you hear, uh, can you do me a huge favor and leave a review? I know there have been a bunch of you that have already done that, so big thanks. But if you haven't done that and you're someone that maybe is inclined and willing to do so, head on over to whatever podcast app or directory you're familiar with and leave a review. Uh, Those are a big, big help. Basically, uh, good reviews lead to more people finding the podcast. So one way you can really support the show and help, uh, help the show reach more people is by leaving a good review. In particular, if you're an Apple user, maybe we get a lot of people from the iTunes world and the iTunes ecosystem. And so, if you're an Apple user, you're listening to this on your, uh, you know, on your uh, on your i your iPad or your iPhone in the podcast app, or maybe you're listening to this, uh, um, you know, on iTunes on your desktop or your laptop. Either way, can you head on over, leave a five star rating, tell the world you love this podcast and what stands out about it? Um, those are a big, big help. Uh, again, good reviews lead to more people. So if you can do that, that would be great. Head on over and do that today. Thank you in advance. All right, let's get to Bill Walsh. If you're not familiar, Bill Walsh was a legendary NFL coach. He was a coach in the in the 1970s for the for Stanford University, and then went on and got hired in the NFL uh, with the San Francisco 49ers. And he had multiple coaches that worked for him uh, as assistants that eventually went on to have a bunch of success uh, and win multiple Super Bowls and multiple championships, and you know have a tremendous amount of success both at the pro level at the college level. And, and it really is because he had some really unique things about his leadership style. And I kind of want to just point out a few things that that Bill Walsh did that I think would be really valuable for those of us, uh, you know, working and leading in student ministry. 
I'm going to give you three primary areas where Bill Walsh seemingly exceeded far beyond what most coaches are ever, are, you know, ever able to accomplish. Uh, I'm not going to give you a lot of pragmatics necessarily, just kind of some high-level thoughts uh, that, I, again, that I've observed from Bill Walsh, both from interviews I read about him as well as uh, some books and, and other things that are out there floating around uh, about Bill Walsh. Uh, the number one thing that Bill Walsh did was develop a successful team by developing a successful culture. Anytime you hear people talking about Bill Walsh and and the San Francisco 49ers of the 1980s, you hear about culture, the Niner way of doing things. Um, And he was very, very strategic in particular about developing culture. There was a culture of care for one another. Bill took a lot of time to spend time with his staff and players to know them personally, to have conversations. It was obvious to every everyone that he deeply cared for them, and he expected everyone to care for one another. There was also a lot of camaraderie uh, amongst the organization, in particular the coaching staff. They would spend nights out together. They knew each other. Their families would go out together. Their families you know, would go on vacations together in the offseason. There's this element of camaraderie that he, that he really focused on building. And I think these are the types of things that we can do in student ministry to really go out of our way to show the people that are on our teams that we care about them, people that we're leading, that we that we want to invest in them. You know, really, if you're a youth pastor, a youth leader of any kind, you really ask yourself, when was the last time, you know, me and my wife went on a double date with one of the youth leaders and his wife? Or when was the last time we had, you know, some of our key student leaders over our house? And, you know, did we, you know, did we, do we only plan, plan a Christmas party or are there random kind of adventures and rendezvous throughout the course of the year? I mean, how much time are you spending with your people? How much camaraderie is being built? Because the reality is if you're not doing it on a regular basis, you're not going to be able to build the culture that you really want. Bill Walsh talked a lot about building culture. Uh, Joe Montana said this about him. He said, beyond standards and methodology, teaching your beliefs, values, and philosophy are the most important thing you can do. I learned that from Bill. Joe Montana, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time who who you know was on the team under Bill Walsh and led the, t- the 49ers to multiple Super Bowls, he talked quite a bit about the fact that Bill Walsh was a big proponent of installing uh, you know, not just methods, but teaching people your beliefs, your values, your philosophies. Uh, Bill Walsh, when asked what are the things he looks for in a player, he, he talked about the, the things that everyone looks for that he also appreciates, talent, character, intelligence. I mean, every team is looking for talented players with good character and intelligence. There's a lot of teams that kind of skirt on the character part, but there's a lot of teams that really value that. But But the one thing that Bill Walsh pointed out that many teams don't, and that is, is there an obvious eagerness to adopt my way of doing things? Bill Walsh talking about players. Are, are they eager to adopt the 49er philosophy? And he says there's a lot of players that aren't eager to adopt your philosophy, and there's a lot of teams that don't demand players to adopt their philosophy. And Bill Walsh talked about the fact that that was a major failure. Then he was looking for players, not just with talent and character and intelligence, but with an eagerness, an obvious desire to adapt. And so when he came in to the team locker room, when when a new player joined the team, he was eager to absorb their philosophy and change to the way they had already built things or how they were seeking to build things rather than kind of coming in and doing it their own way. That eagerness led more players to adopting his philosophy. 
societies, which allowed their culture to grow faster and stronger and to leave his imprint and his way of doing things on people. He, he, they talked a lot about having unique practice schedules, unique drills. They, they did all kinds of unique things in the 80s that lots of other teams hadn't done in practice. And you know, occasionally to have a player join the team that didn't quite want to do it the way he wanted to do it. And he said he would quickly try to weed those players out, try to trade them or get rid of them as fast as he could. Whenever he would interview, you know, potential draftees before they, you know, were drafted on the team, he would, you know, he would really, uh, you know, really look, you know, look at whether or not they were eager to adopt the 49er way. How much had they really considered that? And so really, you know, as you were establishing culture, Really try to bring in people, recruit people that you seem that you see in them an eagerness to adopt your culture, and not as much of an eagerness to bring about new culture or their culture. And that doesn't mean you don't bring in people with different perspectives. Of course, we need that. We need to listen to people. We need new perspectives. We need to bring change. But we also want people with an eagerness to adopt the current philosophy of doing things. Here's another quote from Joe Montana uh, speaking about Bill Walsh. He said this, His mind for technical football was extraordinary, but beyond that was his ability to organize and manage his staff, players, and the entire organization. He was able to get the entire organization on exactly the same page, and he developed a culture that they were all willing to submit to. On that page, he set the standard for how he wanted things done. Man, what a great quote, right? The idea that Bill Walsh worked furiously and hard to establish a culture and to get everyone on that same page to submit to that culture. What an incredible idea. And I would really encourage every person, what are you doing to establish culture in your organization? What are you doing to purposely develop philosophy, to purposely and clearly communicate philosophy? What are what are your way of doing things? Or what's the, the way you guys do things, right? When someone joined the 49ers in the 80s, it was clear. There's a 49er way of doing things. It was obvious. Is that obvious in your culture? Because if it isn't, I'd challenge you to really begin to implement some things, really begin to do things to build camaraderie, to build, uh, you know, to build friendships, to build trust, to build care amongst your team, and to clearly speak to, the, to one another about what you expect. Get people on the same page. This is really, really important. One other thing I want to mention before I go on to the second one is that one of the ways I've done this is to really clearly set expectations, both high level and mid-level and, and granular levels. You know, I, 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 whenever I was meeting with a new small group leader, I'd say, hey, listen, as you come in, here's what you're expected to do. Change the lives, or not, not change the lives of students, but, but to impact the lives of students, to spend time with students. And then I would say, okay, here's a more medium-term way you can do that. We expect you to be a presence in the lives of students. Okay, here's a more granular level. We expect you to be there every Wednesday to lead your small group. And we expect you at least, at least once a week to go hang out with a kid, you know, in off-hour times, you know, not in official organized events. Like, just give your people very clear expectations. And then I would also ask for expectations. As people were, you know, were, were, were a part of the organization, I would regularly ask, hey, what do you expect of me? What are the expectations you have of me that I'm not meeting? What are the expectations that I'm meeting okay? Where are the expectations where I'm really not doing a good job of meeting? Set and ask for clear expectations. Make it very clear clear what you expect from people and make it of make yourself available to hear their expectations of you collaboratively talk to your people and as you build culture build in what the expectations of your culture 
are. That'll be a big, big help as you lead your team. Number two, second thing that I learned from Bill Walsh is you develop a system around the gifts of your people. This is, listen, if you forget anything else I say in this episode, this is the really, really important one. It is important to develop systems around the giftings of your team, not the giftings you wish your team had. Um, There's a famous offensive system that Bill Walsh developed. If you're a football fan, you've probably heard of the West Coast offense. Now, this was a system built around a particular type of pass, right? He would, they would do these timing routes. So rather, you know, before the 49ers came on the scene, before Bill Walsh invented this West Coast system, um, basically players were predetermined what they're going to do. You're going to run a post pattern. And if you don't know what that is, basically you're going to run 10 or 15 yards on the field and you're going to run toward the middle of the field, toward the middle post of the field. That's kind of the idea. Well, and that was all predetermined. Bill Walsh came along and said, hey, that's what we're going to do. We're going to run timing patterns rather than predetermined we're going to say hey run either this or this depending on what you see and they were always quick hits so rather than saying you're going to run 10 or 15 yards on the field bill walsh would tell his receiver hey you're going to run either three yards to the left and out or you're going to run a quick four yards and in but you're going to determine what you do based on what the defender is going to do and we're going to do it so quick that you don't that they don't have the opportunity to respond so you get the ball in their hands very quickly and they can get down the field now, the reason why Bill Walsh invented this system was not because he was so innovative and thought he, he invented the system on his own. No, when he was an assistant coach for the Cincinnati Bengals, he had a quarterback by the name of Virgil Carter. Virgil Carter was a really smart player, but he didn't, he didn't have a really strong arm. He really couldn't throw the ball accurately down the field, 10, 15, 20 yards on the field. But he was really good at recognizing where he should go with the football and making kind of quick decisions and kind of putting the ball right where nowhere else can get it except his players. And so Bill Walsh decided, okay, listen, rather than demanding Virgil to throw the ball down the field the way every other team does, let's kind of invent a system that maximizes his skill set. And then Bill Walsh took this system to Stanford, kind of honed it. And then when he went to the 49ers, they drafted this guy named Joe Montana in the third round. Now, Joe Montana wasn't expected to be a great quarterback in NFL. I mean, he was a third round pick, so it's pretty good. And he was relative, relatively successful at, at the college level at Notre Dame. But there's a lot of people that weren't sure about Joe Montana because Joe Montana had a weakness. Joe Montana was not incredibly accurate throwing the ball down the field early in his career. So what did Bill Walsh do? He invented this West Coast, or took the West Coast system he had already invented with Virgil years earlier, and he honed it and crafted it. Now he looked at the players he had and said, okay, what do I have on my team that is really good. He had a few running backs that were really good at catching the ball out of the backfield. This was not something that a lot of NFL players did, or a lot of NFL teams did at the time. Today, lots of NFL teams do this, where they have running backs catching the ball out of the backfield. That's a normal thing. But back then, very, very few teams did this. So rather than running the ball a lot, this is what they would do. They'd have their running back, who on most teams would typically just, you know, get the ball and run with it. They'd have these guys kind of block for a second and then kind of move out into the onto the sides of the field and come around. And it basically, when Joe Montana would drop back the pass, rather than just having two or three receivers, he'd have four or five receivers. And they rarely ever, you know, uh, ran the bar. They didn't do, do it nearly as much as other NFL teams did. Now, a lot of people thought this was a crazy idea because running the football was the most successful thing in the NFL at the time. But Bill Walsh looked at his team and he knew, listen, my guys are not going to be good at that. My offensive line and my running backs are not going to be good at this thing. So he basically added an element to the West Coast offense. He kind of invented this system where where his running backs 
could could kind of slip out. They could, you know, block for a second and then slip out, and Joe Montana would quickly throw the ball to them. And basically, uh, you know, what the West Coast offense was built around, this idea of players running very short routes, not running. Joe Montana would drop back the pass, one, two, three, and then throw the ball to one of the five guys as fast as possible. Um, th- this was whole. This was predicated on this these short, quick timing routes. Now, Bill Walsh didn't go to San Francisco and say, "I've got a pre-existing philosophy. All of you need to fit into this." He didn't come in and say, "Here's how I'm going to do things. Everyone needs to learn to do it." No, no, no. He came in and said, "Well, here are some of the things I'd like to do. What do I have at my disposal?" And you know what? He realized he couldn't do everything he wanted to do, so he scrapped it and he invented a system that maximized the talents. He said, what do my, what is my team already good at? And how can I invent a system that is predicated upon what they are really good at? Therefore, anytime one of his players is doing anything on the football field, it's always something they're really good at. He never forced his people to do something that they weren't naturally talented at. What a brilliant idea. Now, this seems sort of obvious to some of us, but most of us don't do this. Most of us come to the table in leadership with ideas, with strategies, with philosophies already in place. And I think that's a major failure. And what we've seen in the NFL after Bill Walsh is many of the guys who kind of came from the Bill Walsh coaching tree, guys that were either assistants for him in San Francisco or guys that were assistants for some of his, his assistants. Um, one of the most famous guys is Mike Holmgren. He was an assistant for Bill Walsh there in, in San Fran. He went on to be the head coach of the Green, Green Bay Packers, went to two Super Bowls. He won one of them. And he went there, and a lot of his assistants then went on to be head coaches elsewhere. And a lot of those coaches would show up in a city to be the new head coach of the team, and they'd say, here's our philosophy. Here's the West Coast system. We need our quarterback to do this, this, and this. We need our receivers to do this, this, and this. We need our running backs to do this, this, and this. And it was always predicated upon what had happened in San Francisco and Green Bay. And they would often ignore the players on their team and their gifts and strengths. In my opinion, this is a major failure, and what we saw with many of those coaches is them failing, them not being good head coaches in the NFL. Their teams saw very little success whenever they did that, but when they came in the situation and were willing to adjust and kind of switch up what they do and say, okay, listen, in San Fran and Green Bay, we did this, but I got this player on my team and he's not good at that, so I can't do that, and scrap it and say, okay, listen, we we did this in Green Bay, but but, you know, my players are good at this. We didn't do that in Green Bay. We should add that to the repertoire. Like, really take 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 inventory of what your team is good at and have them do that. Build systems in your ministry that allows your people to do what they are good at. If you got a bunch of people that are really good at being at spending time with people and leading small groups, well, listen. Give them more time to lead small groups, right? Don't demand them to do other stuff and only give them 20 minutes to lead small groups. If your people are really good at that, listen, give them an hour. Cut your sermon short and give them longer time to lead discussion groups, right? Figure out what your peeps are good at and get them in a position to do that thing. If you do this, really, if you really strategically, intentionally, prayerfully consider this and seek to do this, I promise you, it will revolutionize your leadership. You will find people are more excited to follow you, more excited to serve the ministry. And you will find that it is easier to do the first thing I talked about, that is establish culture, right? When, when people feel like they're maximizing their giftings, they will buy into the, to the philosophy, overarching philosophy, faster and with more loyalty. 
Don't demand them to do your pre-existing things. Try to alter the systems that you have in place to maximize the talents and skill sets of the people on your team. I think that's a really great point that Bill Walsh brought to the table that all of us can apply to our leadership. So again, number one is focus on developing culture. And you do that by building camaraderie, caring for your people, looking for people that are eager to develop your philosophy, and setting clear expectations for your peeps. The second thing is develop a system that's ma that maximizes the pe your people's giftings. Invent your systems and develop strategies based around the skill set of your people. Number three, this is really important. Teach your people to hate mistakes. Now, this is going to sound a little bit like it lacks grace, but just stick with me for a moment, okay? This is something that Bill Walsh did beautifully. Joe Montana, again, his quarterback, said this about him. He said his primary leadership asset his ability was his ability to teach people how to think and to play at a much higher level because he taught us to hate mistakes. Whenever you talk about Bill Walsh, or you read, or excuse me, when you when you talk to to, uh, to people who maybe who knew him, or when you hear when you hear interviews and you read books about him and you read blogs about Bill Walsh, people often talk about the fact he never made his people feel guilty for their failure. People didn't fear failure. Failure. Whenever people failed, he responded to them with incredible uh, encouragement. Here's what Bill what Joe Montana said about Bill. He said Bill Walsh didn't jump all over you, made a mistake. He came in with very specific correction and incredible encouragement. Here's what you did wrong, but here's how you do it right, and here's why I think you're great. That's what Bill. That's what Joe Montana, Joe Montana said about Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh. He taught the smallest details whenever he made a mistake. Whenever, whenever someone made a mistake, he didn't come in and attack their character and say, man, you're a terrible quarterback, or what are you doing? Bill would come in with a very gentle voice. Joe Montana would say he was, he was just the nicest guy with a smile. You knew he cared about you, and he'd point out, hey, just want to let you know, this is the small thing you did. He would point to the smallest element of your mistake, and he would basically make it very clear what you did wrong, but he would make it seem like it wasn't a big deal. And I would encourage you to do that your people in student ministry or in all of your ministry. Whenever people make mistakes, be very specific. Let them know specifically what they did, but also make sure you make them feel like, hey, listen, this wasn't a big deal because all of us can recover from failure. He, uh, Joe Montana says that he, that he, that he always taught us to stay, to stay mentally engaged. This is one of the biggest things that Bill Walsh did. He taught us people, he taught us people to, be, to stay mentally engaged. And he taught us people to, to seek to become better. Um, one of his other players said that he modeled a hunger for improvement. He was teachable. He was approachable. Man, is that obvious about you? Like, would you people say that about you? That you model a hunger for improvement? That you're teachable? That you're approachable? Joe Montana said this about Bill Walsh, that he was demanding of us, but he was even more demanding of himself. That he was forgiving and encouraging of us when he failed, and he was equally forgiving of himself when he failed. How do you respond when people, when people fail? Because how you respond when people fail will cause them to love you more and be more loyal to you. And it will also cause them to hate making mistakes, not because they're afraid they're going to fall, you're going to come on down on them, but because they ultimately want to succeed for you and for the ministry. Man, what a great idea. Teaching your people to hate mistakes, not by coming down on them, not by being a jerk, not by being too harsh, 
but by being a great teacher that care that clearly cares for people. I'll tell you, in my ministry experience, I, if I'm honest, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I feel like I'm really good at number one and number two. But if I'm transparent with you in this episode, I tell you, this number three, this is the one I've really, I've really not been great at in my ministry experience. I've not been good at being gentle and encouraging when people make mistakes. I've not been good at modeling what it means to be someone who hungers for improvement, who's teachable, who's approachable. I'm not someone who is who has basically made people feel like it's safe to fail. I've I've sometimes been guilty of making people feel guilty for failing. And that, that ultimately causes people to not stay mentally engaged. But Bill Walsh was gentle. He was encouraging. He encouraged people to stay focused. He pointed out the specific things they did wrong without making them feel like he was assaulting their character, without making them feel like crummy, crappy people. He was loving. He was gentle. And he made, he, he was a teacher at heart. Everything that you read about Bill Walsh, people say that he was at heart a teacher that deeply cared for you and he wanted you to do better. He was like a dad that loved you deeply. People worked hard because they wanted to They wanted to work hard for Bill. They wanted to be successful for Bill, not because they were afraid of him, not because they were afraid of failure, but because, because, he, because they knew he deeply cared for them and that he was willing to do whatever it takes to teach them to be better people, to, to help them in the midst of their failure. Man, really ask yourself, are you good at, at responding to people's failure well? Do you teach people to hate mistakes and not be afraid of failure? That, because, man, I think if we can get good at that, I think people will really, will really feel comfortable and will go after it. I think people will work harder. I think people will, will buy into the philosophy. I think they'll be more loyal. I think, I think people will be themselves and be better leaders. I think people will be more successful in, in ministry if we respond to their failures in, in a more gentle, more gracious, a more teacher-like way. Let's, let's respond to people in such a way that they'll, that they'll hate the mistakes but not be afraid a failure. So again, the three things Bill Walsh did really well is number one, he worked hard to, to establish a, a successful culture. Number two, he developed a system around the around the gifts of the people on his team rather than demanding for them to fall in line with a pre-existing system. And number three, he taught people to hate mistakes but not be afraid of failure because he responded to them with grace and with care. What what incredible wisdom that we can observe from the life of Bill Walsh. Hey, if you're interested in doing uh, some more research on the guy, Bill Walsh, and kind of learning from him, there's a great book written a few years back called The Score Takes Care of Itself. Uh, it was written by a guy named Steve Jamison. He's a best-selling author. He interviewed Bill Walsh. We had a series of interviews right before Bill Walsh died, and he documented a bunch of Bill Walsh's thoughts and quotes and put it in a book um, that, that is out. So you can check that out. Again, it's called The Score Takes Care of Itself, which was also one of his kind of famous sayings. Bill Walsh would often say, we don't worry about the score. The score takes care of itself. We worry about playing the game the right way and doing the right things. And if we do that, then we'll end up winning a lot of games. Bill Walsh would always say, we don't want to worry about the end result of winning games. We worry about what we can worry about. You know, we focus on playing the game the right way. And we know that eventually 
will end up winning some games. The score takes care of itself. And so that's the book with a bunch of wisdom and thoughts and philosophies from Bill Walsh and really kind of a lot of the things that he implemented when he was the coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Um, you know, really, Bill Walsh really revolutionized coaching in the NFL in a lot of ways. So again, I think there's a lot of great leadership wisdom that we can learn from him. Check out that book. Again, it's called The Score Takes Care of Itself by Steve Jamison. The forward actually was written by Joe Montana, his famous Hall of Fame quarterback. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Student Ministry Podcast. If you have a question or a topic that you think would be a great topic that we could cover on the podcast, please feel free to shoot me an email. Or if you know someone that you think would make a great interview guest, I'd also love to hear from you. Either way, shoot me an email. The address is heyortiz at studentministrypodcast.com. Again, that's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at studentministrypodcast.com. Hey, if you're an avid podcast listener, I want to encourage you to check out my other podcast. It's called Theology for the Rest of Us. It's designed to give people quick answers to theological questions. I'd love for you to check it out. Easiest way to find it is on the web at theologyfortherestofus.com. Our intro and outro theme music for this episode has been Actionable by Ben Sound. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been the Student Ministry Podcast.